2: hello and welcome to today's episode of the professional book nerds podcast presented by overdrive y'all Okay, let me just do the podcaster stuff real quick. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you do your listening. It really does make a difference in helping people find us. Our socials are at ProBookNerds on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And of course, you can send an email to ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. With that of the way, y'all, today I am talking with TJ Clune and Daniel Henning. I'm sure you've all heard me talk about how the house in the Cerulean Sea like changed my life. And Daniel Henning's voice is one of my favorite voices to have read to me. So when I tell you I'm losing it, anyway, let's get into this interview. My guest today, ooh boy, first, the New York Times and USA Today, best-selling Lambda Literary, award-winning author of The House in the Cerulean Sea, The Extraordinaries, and more. Being queer himself, he believes it's important than ever to have accurate, positive queer representation in stories. We've got TJ Klune and a director, producer, actor, writer, and narrator. His work has been seen on HBO, CBS, NCBC, ABC, Fox, MTV, Comedy Central, and on stages throughout Southern California. He's the founding artistic director of Hollywood's The Blank Theater, winning over 200 awards for his productions. He's been inspirational to thousands of young artists and an acting teacher and coach to many, including Tessa Thompson, Octavia Spencer, and Sarah Michelle Gellar. He's narrated many, many audiobooks as well. It's Daniel Henning, TJ Daniel, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. It is so nice to meet both of you. Um, I have to start in probably the cheesiest way, but um, I love both of you.
1: <laughs> I I have to
2: express like my undying love for both of you. TJ, the house in the cerulean sea changed my life. Like when oh. I was reading it, I was feeling like both of the adult main characters that I was just like oh what is hiding and what is just being stuck and uh, Daniel your voice every time I pick up an audiobook cuz I'm the audiobook junkie and I see you on I go oh finally like um surrender your sons was such a treat bathhouse is like my favorite that I listened to this year I oof, too too many good <laughs> things so for both of you just like you both just kind of fell into my lap, and it has been uh, endless from there. So uh, enough gushing, I know. But thank you both, if that's even fair to say.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. That's very kind. And fortunately, Daniel and I both have many, many works for people to get through if they
0: find themselves liking one. Guess what? We have
1: <laughs> many others. So you're really good to go.
0: No. The House on the Cerulean Sea changed my life, too. Oh, no. Sure. <laughs> well, that's very
1: well hey the house in the cerulean sea changed my life so look <laughs> yay yes, <laughs> we have a club now yeah we are the house in the cerulean sea club and i have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of members in this club so i'm totally <laughs> a with that. there's something
2: that really just speaks to i think the the condition of of our community that 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 book touches touches everyone and you both have, like you were, like you were saying, quite the careers here, Daniel. You've got what two hundred some narrations?
0: Just recorded my two hundred and third book.
1: Wow! <laughs> wow! Ask ask him how many of ask him how many of those are textbooks. Ask him how many of those are textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I was on how your many website. Daniel? You got how many of those are of textbooks?
0: Fiction. Well, I taped TJ. I think. T- three of them or their their study guides he loves this. this is TJ's favorite thing about me
1: this is my favorite i love it
0: 20 hours study guides um about um becoming a computer cloud security professional okay each chapter with study guides one and
1: hours and hours of study guides that daniel henning the narrator of in the lives of puppets and and the house of the surreal see also does computer manuals and that is my favorite thing in the world. In the world. I would listen to those just to listen to those. The I know nothing about computers.
2: (laughs) So you're, you're truly at the point where we can say, I would listen to you read the phone book. And it's like not far from reality.
0: Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a couple of titles I might suggest.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I need a I need a good like nighttime calm down fodder. So whatever you've got listed for me. <laughs> now, TJ, you've had a pretty reliable cast of narrators for your audiobooks. You spend what looks like quite a bit of attention on deciding your narrator, what the overall style is like. Did you have something that specifically drew you into the audiobook world?
1: When I was younger, or when I, like yeah, when I was younger, oh my God, I'm so old now. When I was first starting out, uh, back in 2011 audiobooks were a thing but you know they were they were kind of that thing that you went into the bookstore and you saw the big square packages that were either CDs or tapes and that was audiobooks you know and audiobooks were when i first started this kind of thing oh well, you listen to an audiobook when you're going on a very long car trip that's that's what audiobooks are for in in the last 12 13 years since I've started, um, I've I've noticed a a huge transformation in the way that we consume media, specifically with audiobooks. You know, there's going to be those idiots out there who, for some reason, want to argue that audio reading is not reading, that it it is listening and you're not actively doing anything. That is complete and utter BS. Audiobooks, are a very good form of, of reading. And, and to suggest otherwise is is pretty much ableist. It's, it's what it is, because audiobooks not only are there for anybody who wants to listen to them, there are people who might not be able to read, either because of disability, either because of a condition, dyslexia, anything like that. So audiobooks are there to be able to help people consume the media that they want. And we're seeing that grow more and more and more to the point of where that you have to have an audiobook. You have to, even if you're an indie author, self-publishing an a book, you you need to consider having audio because that is a huge revenue stream. Yes, it can be very hard to get everything, you know, squared away to get all things in order to pay for the narrator to pay for the editing to pay for all of that. But audio, man, you have to have an audiobook now. You have to, and with with narrators like Daniel. And with my other narrators, Kirk Graves and Michael Leslie, I, I believe, I can quite honestly say I have the three best narrators working in the business. They they are absolutely dynamic at what they do. And I I, you know, challenge anyone to suggest otherwise because there's 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 something about a narrator being able to take my words and make them that much better that is just beautiful to me. It's wonderful. It's it's like when I see people making art of my books. It's creativity inspiring creativity. I didn't tell Daniel how to do those voices. I didn't say, you need to change this, you need to change that, because I want there to be a level of trust between myself and a narrator that I use. The House in the Cerulean Sea was Daniel's first book with me. And the reason He got the job was because a i didn't know that i could say hey i want to pick my own narrator because this is my first book with the big publisher and i didn't know if i was able to say anything so i didn't and then then mcmillan audio reached out to me and said we have this guy and he has a background and huge background in theater and you should just listen and i hate listening to my own books read to me i cannot do that it is weird so I kind of skipped around in the audition, and right when I pressed it, I heard his voice for Chauncey, and I said, "Sold, absolutely sold, 100% sold." Then, within the Lives of Puppets that just came out, I, I was considering Daniel. I had a couple of other people I wanted to audition, my other narrators. In fact, Kurt and Michael, Daniel, I clicked in the middle of his of his uh, audition tape, heard his voice for Nurse Ratched, said, "Sold, absolutely sold." That was that's how it works. Because right. if he can get one character without me giving any notes whatsoever and get it that perfect, then of course I'm going to trust him to do the rest of the characters as as he sees fit. Right, the, the
2: bringing to life a sociopathic nurse robot <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> takes a certain level of well. Skill. Let's, let's
1: face it too a feminine a feminine nursing machine. Daniel is a man, but I there's there's nobody there's nobody better to do that voice. That voice is sheer perfection. That voice to me sells the audiobook in ways that, yes, all the other voices are an equally wonderful. but Nurse Ratchet is a shining shining example of Daniel's talent and creativity.
0: and 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 honestly, thank you. That's very lovely and kind and I'm as red as my shirt. but um, yeah. uh, <laughs> but also, and most importantly, Joe, uh, honestly, uh, I don't what notes would I need when the writing is this. Is that good? That I gave that Nurse Ratched reading because that's what he wrote, or at least that's I—that's what it looked like on the page, and you know. So if if that character had not been so perfectly written and so beautifully described, I might have had a harder time um, finding her. But she was, it was immediate. I knew exactly who she was because TJ knew who she was Mm -hmm. and put it on the page. So, super easy to find all of his characters in all of his books for me. You know, it's, they're, they're just there. So, I'm just, I feel like I'm just opening the door and letting them out, kind of.
2: (laughs) Now, Daniel, before we dive into In the Lives of Puppets, how did you get into the audiobook space? I know you've got, I mean, 200 plus awards for your theater work and all sorts of uh, that, that the listeners have heard at the top when I read your bio. I mean, how did you get into this space?
0: Um, you know, I, I was, did my first uh, play when I was four. Um, and then I, I, you know, and I, I wasn't an actor kid, but I did a couple of movies. I was in um, Francis Ford Coppola's, the black stallion that he produced. And, um, and I uh, did, you know, so I I learned a little bit about the business route then, but then I went to NYU and, you know, graduated with a drama degree came to Los Angeles and founded a theater of course cuz that's what sane people do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure um <laughs> and um so I did that and I met a lot of people and I worked with amazing amazing people and um and then I I realized I wanted to to make room for new leadership at the Blank Theater um so as I was doing that and I took many years to plan that I was also thinking, well, I don't really make much money at a small theater on Santa Monica Boulevard in Hollywood, but I do need to make some money. So what do I do about this? I was working with a playwright named Jeff Tabnick. We did this terrific uh, world premiere play that he wrote called Something Truly Monstrous about um, the night John Barrymore died and the purported rumor that Humphrey Bogart and Peter Laurie stole his body and went joyriding, which probably did happen. Um and you know, weekend at Bernie's is actually, you know, like whatever, right? And um and then a year later I went back to that play, right? Jeff, and I was like, You do something in audiobooks, right? And and he said, I'm actually the casting director for the largest audiobook company in the world. I was like, Oh, okay. Um sign do- me up. <laughs> about this he's like I think you'd be great at it and and so for it's recorded books and so I did my first like 10 books with recorded books that's like you know the top of the pile I didn't realize I was getting in you know at a level you know when I got that first book that scared me to death um uh but that but because of that I was then taken seriously and I was able to kind of you know start at the top in a way um and Cerulean was my first book for Macmillan um for sure uh, you know, so it was a very early in my career, really, ultimately. In the Lives of Puppets came out
2: this past April. TJ, could you give us just a brief description of the book?
0: Yeah, it
1: is a queer reimagining of Carlo Collodi's The Adventures of Pinocchio by way of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and quite possibly The Brave Little Toaster, one of the most traumatizing children's movies ever made, um if you have not seen the Brave little Toaster, you should see the Brave Little Toaster and understand why an entire generation of children were scarred for life over the death of an air conditioning unit and a lamp named lampy um, <laughs> yep. this this book it, this book exists it frankly it's ludicrous. this book exists because I bought a roomba vacuum cleaner. I bought a roomba vacuum cleaner and because I'm a human being, I did what humans do and gave it human-like qualities by putting googly eyes on it nice. and. As soon as I turned this this dorky little machine on, it started to go around and map out my house and immediately got stuck in a corner and made the saddest little beeping sound that I have ever heard in my entire life. I did not know that machines could do that, but as soon as that happened, it's never happened to me before and it's never happened to me since, but this entire universe just exploded in my head. I knew I wanted to do something with Pinocchio. I'd been wanting to do that for a long time, um, but I knew that there with because of this vacuum cleaner, there was a character named Rambo. And he was a vacuum cleaner and he had social anxiety. And he wasn't the main character, though. The main character would need to be a human, a human named Victor. But if there was a human who's being raised by machines, then this human would need to have some form of healthcare monitoring. So, what about like those nursing machines in hospitals? But what if she was a sociopath? And <laughs> it just, just kind of kept building and, and building from there. And Eventually, I had this huge story, this huge book that, that initially I think was going to be much more action-oriented. But as I started writing it, I realized that I didn't want that. I wanted it to be more of a quest that talked about the nature of humanity and machines. And, you know, I wrote this book. I wrote House in the Cerulean Sea, Under the Whispering Door, and In the Lives of Puppets back to back to back. So In the Lives of Puppets was written in 2019. And I had no idea. Obviously, I could have no way of knowing, you know, with the the advancement of artificial intelligence and everything that we're seeing with that. So, of course, my book about machines destroying the entire world and the human who survives and is kept secret comes out right in the middle of ChatGPT and and AI taking over because nobody 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 takes Skynet seriously. I don't understand why the science fiction and fantasy genre has been warning of these exact situations for for many many decades and yet here we are going skipping blithely into the future with no care in the world as if we have not been given evidence that this is not the best thing for us to happen. There are times in my life where I think the internet was the biggest mistake humanity ever made, while also being the greatest thing that we have ever done. It is this weird duality because with the internet, we are able to get information that may have been impossible before then. But with the internet, we also get people finding each other from all over the world with their rote ideologies. And it's just it's mind-blowing to me that I got to write this book about queer puppets, queer machines, queer humans in a post-apocalyptic world. And now we're living in a pre-apocalyptic world.
2: <laughs> I mean, the timing is, is really quite something. So you wrote this in 2019 and it just was, was set and ready, like primed to
1: go. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of readers don't realize that when you write a book for a big major publisher, they want everything to go into that one book. So they don't want to promote, you know here's the house in the Australian sea and 6 months later under the whispering doors is coming out they don't want to do that so those books i write very fast when i write so those books have been sitting there for for years and th- then for them to finally go out and see the world i have a book coming out in 2025 that i can't discuss that i wrote in 2020 so it is going to be 5 years between typically typically in traditional publishing you submit a book, a book is accepted. It'll be two years until that book comes out. That is why I always tell new writers or any writer, never, ever, ever chase trends in your writing. Because by the time that you publish your book, nobody's going to remember that trend. Or if they do, they're going to be like, why are we talking about this again? Oh, this is dated. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to, you got to be very careful with what you do, but man, this it it takes years for some things to see the light and you know a, the new novel that i have coming out next year i wrote in 2022 and <laughs> it just depends so on how timing works timing. out yeah. yeah it's just weird
2: thing speaking on your writing your your books are just rich i think that's the the best way to put it whether it's your characters whether it's your settings and now you said a inspired this this whole book <laughs> How do you usually end up coming up with characters, settings? I mean, we're in a post-apocalyptic, like treetop world. Mm -hmm. How would you normally go about your process? Or is it always like that random?
1: It's always it nine nine times out of ten, it's random. Nine times the house in the cerulean sea exists because one day a little boy named Lucy started talking to me. That's how it works for me. I hear characters, you know. I have, I have said a few times in my life that I had a choice when I was a child. I could grow up to be a writer. I could have grown up to be psychotic. And I chose to be a writer because I hear voices in my head. And I, whenever characters start talking to me, if they're insistent, that's when I know that there's something there. And they won't even need to be the main character, i.e. Rambo, i.e. Lucy. I knew Lucy wasn't going to be the main character, but I knew that he was going to be something and it was him that introduced me to Linus who then introduced me to every other character in the book.
2: What a, what a process, but that's, I mean, that makes so much sense. It, it is not about forming the characters. They're walking up to you and said, hi, I am this person.
1: And then I'm learning Put me about on the
2: that. page. Yeah, Right,
1: exactly. Exactly. So what I do is I, I am a opious, copious copious note taker. I have before I, like, In the Lives of Puppets, since we're talking about that, I did six months of research on In the Lives of Puppets before I ever put a word down on page. Then when I finally started writing that book, I wrote the entire thing in three months because I knew exactly what I wanted to do, exactly where I wanted to go. The outline for In the Lives of Puppets itself was almost 60,000 words. And that's half the novel because I, I have, you know... A large swaths of that are parts of the book that I want to get to, bullet points that I want. But huge parts of that also are stuff that'll never go in the book. I for in the lives of puppets, I know Victor's birthday, I know his favorite food, I know what kind of nightmares he has, I know uh, you know all these little different things that will never make it in the book, but are just there for me to know the character. It's just me to know who these people are. And so I I do that with almost every single book I have. I have hundreds, if not thousands of pages of notes for all of my books where I just fill them up with little things that will keep me in the world and keep me thinking about these people that aren't real to anybody else but me.
2: So research for you is getting to know the characters completely, writing a compendium of them and the locations. Yeah, and, and that just translates eventually right. into... Yeah,
1: in the lives of... Pup, the, house, the houses were initially going to be just built around the trees. But then I happened to reread Swiss Family Robinson. And I was like, holy shit. Why, why wouldn't they be in the trees? If there's something... If there's animals or something that could come underneath, why wouldn't they build into the trees? Because it's safer. And I just it's It's an interesting idea that that, you know, all these little bits and pieces of science fiction and fantasy I put into in the lives of puppets. I mean, there's there's references to The Matrix in there. There's references to I am Legend. There's references to all these different things from science fiction and fantasy because I this is my love letter to this genre that has meant so much to me for so long
2: absolutely. And on that note, you're writing spans across so many genres or kind of like ends up a beautiful blend of that sci-fi fantasy romance, Mm -hmm. a you know, dash of humor, a touch of camp. Like we, you know, Mm -hmm. we love all of it. How did you find that voice
1: for that is just me. (laughs) That is (laughs) how I have always been. I mean, let's face it, I am weird, I'm ridiculous, I am campy, I am all of these things in my characters, every writer, even if they say they don't they're liars. Every writer puts bits and pieces of themselves into the books that they write, because that's how we find familiarity. That's how we begin to, that's how we begin to form a connection. And um, I am, (laughs) I am one of the weirdest people in the world. And that is okay with me. When I was a kid, I didn't like my weirdness because it felt kind of like ADHD my ADHD it kind of felt like my queerness it felt like an otherness something that separated me from everybody else but like my queerness like my ADHD I made my weirdness work for me I don't work for it it works for me mm. and that mm-hmm. is something that will always be fuel for me and look I'm 41 year old 41 years old now I started my publishing journey when I was in my 20s I have enough stories that I want to write that would last seven lifetimes, eight, 10, 20 lifetimes. I will never, ever stop doing what I'm doing, ever.
0: Hooray. happy to hear it Daniel's
1: like yes I get to keep him being employed
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, Daniel you can like even just switch to his books alone (laughs) a few less textbooks
1: (laughs) variety is a spice of no 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 Daniel must continue to record textbooks because that is something that I always want to hear about I always want to hear Daniel tell me about CES language and computers I don't even know what that is I don't even know But we've
2: learned, or we yeah, will be. I'll, I'll will be learning be when I download that to listen to. Yes, <laughs> uh, uh, uh,
0: scintillating. It will. It will. It will. It will keep your. You'll be wrapped for all twenty hours of each book.
1: <laughs> well, maybe, maybe next time, just do them all in the voice of Nurse Ratched and and Chauncey from The House of the Australian Sea. I thought about imagine, imagine. just
0: one Chauncey question in the middle yeah. to see if yeah. people are really listening, paying
1: pay attention. Right, right, right. <laughs> question
2: fifty-seven, and Chauncey comes in. Yes,
1: exactly, exactly. TJ, how
2: do you get yourself prepared when it's time to do that three-month sit-down and write? What is your setup like? Do you have snack essentials, music <laughs> essentials? I like, I like the fun stuff like that. What are the the needs?
1: Welcome to my white trash life. Are you ready? <laughs> Love I can it. say that because I was white trash, <laughs> born and raised in small town, Oregon. I lived in a trailer. So let me tell you my um essentials. I am a connoisseur. (laughs) Nay, I say I am an expert in gas station beef jerky. So let me, and you might be thinking, TJ, that sounds disgusting. And guess what? You're right. But at the same time, if you ever go into a gas station and you see something labeled beef nuggets, oh my God, are you in for an adventure? They are delicious. (laughs) They are the best. And I, 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 whenever I get, whenever I say that, I always get the same look that I'm kind of getting from you guys right now, but that's okay. Because you know what? That just means there's more gas station beef jerky for me. And I have that and I have tea, and I have (laughs) NPR playing in the background because ever since I started writing my first book, My first book came out, won awards, became a bestseller, and I wrote it while listening to NPR. So that means I have to listen to NPR for every book I write, every book I edit. I was editing my very first novel around Christmas time. So every edit, regardless of the year, I have to listen to Christmas music the whole time. And then I just sit at my desk and just go. I go and go and go. When I first started doing this full time, I would write for eight hours a day, 5,000 words a day. I had to hit 5,000 words a day. That's the stupidest thing anybody could do. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? Don't do it. So now I write for a couple of hours a day. And if I get a couple of thousand words, hell yes. If I don't, you know what? I can try again tomorrow. And it will be okay. I write very, very fast though, because with how much research and planning I do, I don't want to stop once I get going.
2: Right. No, that makes sense. And you know, it sounds like all you need is the the right sounds and beef nuggets. And who cares? You, <laughs> get, you get them either way. How many words are in a day?
1: You know there's a problem when the gas station attendant recognizes you when you walk in and she says, Yeah, we got new beef nuggets over there. And I say, Oh, cool. You're
2: like all it's right. time to try them. <laughs> no, oh, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> Now Daniel I have to know the same from you. What is your setup like? I know sound it's a little different. You can't really be snacking, but you are a creative person in a variety of places, writer, director, so many things. How does your creative process manifest?
0: Um uh it it I'll I'll say audiobooks just because it's it's kind of, you know, easier to contain it that way. But um Uh, I I have to when when, you know when doing you know any fiction um, I have to of course read the book but then I create the characters in advance so that's like the research right that's like so I spend time you know sometime with with like you know with TJ's books I'll read them two or three times just to really because the world is so rich and and because it loops off the page at after the first read for me, I think, well, what will come from the second read or the third read? And then I'll maybe be using the voices I've created of that, But That the actual space is like, this is my booth right here, this tiny little box. This is where I am. It's
1: <laughs> dollars a day. Don't let. I me like. Have- I like Rick- how you have your name on it.
0: <laughs> In your home, at least you know <laughs> it's yours.
1: Yeah. Right. So there's no confusion at all.
0: Nameplate <laughs> is actually from when I did an episode of Beverly Hills 90210. On- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the episode took place on Jeopardy, and so this was our, my trailer. Like Jason Priestley had one of these too, so that's mine. What you can't see, TJ, is that on the other side of this are. Yeah. characters from cerulean and yay yeah i think you've shown me pictures of it before
1: or because uh, uh, i know you have that cerulean mug
0: yeah and i yeah and this and you know and yes chauncey you know so uh, um and so but then once i'm in there like i i think my my life is like except that (laughs) there's no way that i'm an athlete but it's like an athlete like i have to sleep properly I have to eat properly I can't eat a lot before I go in the booth but I have to eat a little something because stomach growls is like the worst thing ever for an audiobook narrator except for (laughs) roofing next door at your neighbor's place like today um So there's, so there's that aspect of it as well as like, and even well, like what I eat at lunch, if I eat in the middle of the day, like how, you know, can I get to the end of the day without eating because my stomach will growl after I'm eating, but if I don't eat, then my stomach's going to growl like it's that. So, but in the booth, it's water um, and maybe um, vocalizone tea, which is this, these drops that were created for Caruso um, and they're, they're good on the voice. Um, And, and then just being really friggin diligent, like just. I have to be a thousand percent present because when you're listening to that in your ear, if I wander in my thoughts, so will you. You absolutely. know,
1: absolutely. That is the best way to put that. That's why Daniel is so good at what he does. He knows that, and I love that.
2: For real, that is that is like nail on the head because mm-hmm. I'm listening to so many audiobooks, it no one does it quite like you. Where there is that absolute focus. I'm
1: like, how. Well, think about it, too. If I get sick, I can continue to write. If Daniel gets sick, he can't do his job. He can't do his voice. His voice is literally his weapon here. That is what he uses to do stuff. So if that goes or if he's not feeling the best, then people will be able to hear it and he won't be able to record at that point. It's just crazy to me that, that, that we get to have Someone this talented that must be protected at all costs. So Daniel, um, get insurance on your voice. And <laughs> how
2: how safe can we make that booth just in case we need exactly, like, exactly have you hungered down in
0: there? <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe saying this out loud is not the best thing, but I don't really get sick. So uh even eat actually. I did get COVID last year and I had a book that was due and it was only two days. And in it, in it, one of the characters was like this witch hag. I'm not going to tell you the title. And I was like, wait, I'm going to sound like this for two days for sure. Maybe I'll just. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: Which I did. That's awesome. That's
2: awesome. <laughs> That's making the most of it.
0: Oh, <laughs> But normally it takes longer to record a book. So, because it's also, it's it partially it, uh, the sick thing. Um, it's about the consistency because I'm, re- you know, like puppets, I was recording for two weeks. So I had to sound the same every day for two weeks. It's not, you know what I mean? Which is different than sounding the same for two days. Um, you know, so that's well, why yeah, because
1: I- think about it. Think about how different your voice sounds when you first wake up, yeah. think about how it sounds in the middle of the day. And then think about how it sounds at the end of the day, they don't sound any the same at all. And if Daniel is recording at a different point in the day, his but his inflection might be different, or the tone of his voice might be different, and readers will pick up on that. Yeah. Like you, nobody's business, man. There <laughs> sure. are people who listen to audio, and it's like, okay, I'm listening. And then there's people who listen to audio going, "All right, I'm right there with, I'm right there with Daniel. I'm right there with him. And if there's any weird little twitch or something, they will know. They will absolutely know.
0: Trust me." And I tend to, you know, my, my, uh, some of my characters and especially ones that TJ writes often are super rangy, you know, like, cause they're whatever Chauncey and, you know, Rambo and whatever. I mean, Nurse Ratchet is more, you know, in a realm, but even Nurse Ratchet, even with if my voice isn't just right, even though it seems like I could probably do that at any time, I can't because I'm using little folds in the upper register of my voice to make a point or to tell part of the story you know so I'm I so if I don't have like if I'm doing Chauncey and I can't go all the way up here then it doesn't it's not Chauncey you know I need all of it and by the way this even goes like if I go out I can only have like one drink I cannot have two if I have two bourbons I sound like Brenda Vaccaro (laughs) We should, Which we I can think of
1: book. some
2: books where that really works. I, I was, for was you. gonna say,
1: I should write a book where you have to be drunk the whole time and just do it, <laughs> and just do it that way. Yeah,
2: uh, two Manhattans, and I will sound like <laughs> two Manhattans, and you've got a different job entirely with that voice <laughs> exactly at a piano bar.
1: <laughs>
2: now, Daniel, how do you find yourself getting into character, and do you record like? would you record all of Rambo's lines in one go or are you reading through the book naturally?
0: Oh, I'm absolutely moment to moment and switching back and forth. And TJ, TJ saw me do that live earlier this year, which I've, I was weird because I've never done that in front of other people, you know, but um, once the characters are in my, I do record them. When I create the characters, I record a little snippet so I can go back and remind myself. Um, and I do that in advance. Um, but once they're there, like I, my, favorite you know is is the is the dinner scene um from cerulean in terms of that because there are like eight characters in that that are all talking back and forth to each other and pretty much i did that pretty much live without stopping i can just switch i could probably do that right now if you gave me the text because once the characters are in me they're in me they don't go (laughs) uh forever like for i can just pull up you know uh, and, th-
1: and you need to think about what Daniel just said too, because uh-huh. that dinner scene, he's right. There are eight characters, eight or nine characters in that scene. All of them are talking and not just one person talks for a little bit and then another, yeah. it's line, 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 line. And imagine the, the Cerulean Sea. these characters are very theatrical. So <laughs> imagine having to switch from say Chauncey to Talia to Theodore chirping to back to Arthur or to Linus, Linus's fear, Arthur's amusement. Lucy and the kids are making fun of Linus. You have to switch back and forth. And that is extraordinary to me. That is extraordinary that somebody's able to do that.
2: Right. Like, Daniel, I heard you say that. And I went, (laughs) sure. And then I thought of that scene. I went, no, (laughs) there's, there's no (laughs) way.
0: You know, I probably stopped once or twice because I might've flubbed a word or something or else, but you know, once I get, you know, once I get, I don't know, 20, 30 pages into a book, it's all they're all just, you know, there and even the the one the future ones then, you know, like one that comes up on page 200, I then I'm so in the um the oil of it, the machinery of the storytelling that which is where that character voice came from in the first place. I don't I don't think I'm making up characters that are outside of the writing of the book. I hopefully I'm looking at the clues that are in the book and the and then the characters speak through me. is kind of how I Think about it i don't think it's me making up the characters i think it's me finding the characters and then letting them out um and so it can they come like that they uh, after you know after a while but yeah it's that was a super fun one and i love that because it you know it's able to you know flip back and forth and gave me and made me feel like oh maybe i can do this And the facility grows, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm better at that now than I was e- even uh, than I was even in Cerulean, you know. Um uh I, you know, Cerulean, um uh and you know, and and in the lives of puppets too. I mean, I play like 39 androids or robots in that book, right? You know, and one human, um, which by the way, to me is the answer to AI. If people are like AI's the, you know, it's like the thing, it's gonna it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> I did a book where I played 39 AI characters and one human, and I gave hearts to all of them. I challenge any AI to do a book with (laughs) 39 humans and one AI and give hearts to all of them.
1: Exactly. It'll never happen because if you read AI written books right now, they are written by an AI. You can easily tell. Yeah.
2: to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com/listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Now, when do you both remember getting into your artistic pursuits?
1: Oh man, when I was a kid. I was a kid. I was writing. I was I was 6 7 years old carrying around a notebook, filling it with stories that were essentially fan fiction of the video game, Super Metroid, because at that video game, Samus Aran, the main character is this space Marine with a gun for an arm and it's the coolest thing in the world. And at the very end, the character takes off their helmet for the first time and you realize you've been playing as a woman and it was the coolest thing in the world to me. And I wanted to spend so much time in that world. So I went uh, or filling these notebooks with stories of, of, me and Samus Aran fighting the evil mother brain and taking her down. And it just naturally progressed from there to me wanting to write, <laughs> fun fact, if you've read my young adult uh, young adult series, The Extraordinaries, which is narrated by Michael Leslie, that series is about uh, a 16 year old queer kid with ADHD who writes fan fiction about the superheroes that protect his city. The fan fiction in that book or in that series is wholesale plagiarized from me. When I was 13, 14 years old, I lifted my own fan fiction of notebooks that I still have. And so when you see things like in the book where Nick is writing his, his purpley flowery prose fan fiction, where he says something like, and then shadow star growls seductively that used to be Fox Mulder growling seductively at Walter Skinner from the X-Files. Cause I was writing slash fan fiction when I was 13 years old. So, um, I just lifted my own fan fiction and put it into the extraordinary. So I've always been writing. I've always been writing.
0: I have. I started when I was a little boy, um, you know, and and I did, you know, did theater and stuff and whatever, and then went to NYU and, you know, and, and, you know, thought I was going to be an actor, came to Los Angeles, founded this theater company. And then I, and then I turned into a director, which is not what I imagined my life was going to be. And, but I had an epiphany about that, which I won't go into. But like, I had this moment where it's like, oh, my God, I'm a director. And then I called my mom. I'm like, Mom, I, I, I it's amazing. I, I realized that like what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to be a director. And she said, honey, you were kicked out of your babysitters when you were 10 years old because the other kids didn't like you directing all the skits. <laughs> 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 and... <laughs> you know, so then I went through that life and I, you know, wasn't really acting much anymore. And then when I was making this transition out of the theater um, and audiobooks came to me, it was, you know, it was like cerulean really that really like was the lightning bolt for me that that. Um, was like, oh, wait a minute, I have this ability to create all these different characters and switch between them in my voice. And like, I didn't know I had that ability. Like it never, literally never occurred to me. Um, And, you know, and, and, and like animation and like all that, where it never, it never dawned on me that I could play different accents and men and women and, you know, from 10 year olds to, you know, 375 year olds and like all that stuff. I just didn't know I had that capacity. And it was audiobooks that brought me that understanding. Well, and you get to Yay! play kind of actor yeah. and director yeah. in the world. Like you get to do it all. Yeah. And that's, there's no question. When I'm in this booth, every bit of me is with me in there. The producer, the writer, the director, the actor, it's all present for me. That's so special.
1: Daniel, what would you say is harder? Directing yourself or directing a cast of other people?
0: Hmm. Um. <clears throat> I would say... Um generally i i've had really uh, wonderful experiences directing other people i'm very i'm a very sensitive director my purpose i think is not to sort of like i say with the audiobooks it's not to create the character i want them to create it's i want to find the character that they want to create and we find that together um and my 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 method as a director is very socratic um lots of questions not lots of answers um and uh, and you know and then and directing myself it's a funny question um in the booth because i obviously am because there's no one else here so <laughs> he's doing it but um the 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 idea of directing oneself implies um uh some kind of third eye that's watching myself and the one thing I always wanted my actors to do is not watch themselves to get so far into the character that they don't under, they don't see that there's an actor who's doing that. So that's what I'm trying to do in the booth. So in a way, I'm not directing myself in the booth. I'm trusting myself to be super present and then letting the channeling process happen. Very rarely. Well, I will stop and go, you know, I could do that line better or I could do that scene better or what have you. Very, very rarely. Most of the time that aspect of me is just present, but not forward. So I'm I'm uh, I feel when I'm working, I'm free. That's what I'm looking for is to be free at the end of the day that you've already directed yourself before you get started. Yes, that's, yeah, that's with with creating the characters and all that stuff. And then uh, just going on the ride, you know, like just hopping, strapping myself into the roller coaster and going where the book takes me. I don't prejudge, oh, this scene's going to be, you know, sad and this one's going to be happy and this one's going to be it's like no the writing is there and if the rhythm is speeding up in the writing then I just instinctually know that and I go on that ride and that chapter and that chapter might be done like this because that's the way that it's sort of written and then there might be one that's much slower and so the more I delve into the words on the page as they exist the easier it becomes for me to be able to see what was written.
2: And that goes for narration as well as character dialogue, all of that you're always kind of morphing around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, because everybody's different. Even even TJ's books are different from each other. So they yeah, I want to find I wanted to find Cerulean. I wanted to find puppets. I didn't want to find TJ. You know, like that's you know, and I know TJ wouldn't want that either, right? Yeah, but, no. <laughs> <you
1: know. laughs> Don't find me, trust me. You wouldn't like what you found. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now
2: we've got kind of a, a queer brain trust here right now. Um, if you had to look back, what is uh, a piece of advice you wish someone told you when you were a kid or that you'd want to give to the the kids out there listening today or even the adults finding themselves out there today?
1: I'm sorry, I'm about to curse. Is that okay? Yes. Good. Fuck what anybody else thinks about you. Fuck, fuck anybody else, man. I grew up... I grew up with people constantly giving me shit because I was a queer kid with ADHD in the 80s, coming of age in the 80s and 90s in rural Oregon. And if I had spent less time listening to everybody else and more time trying to find out who I was, I would have been better off. Um, I did not have the easiest childhood. There are people out there who had much worse childhoods than I have, but I did not have the greatest childhood. Uh, Everything that I loved, or everything that brought me joy was something that could be taken away. And so I realized early on that I wanted to keep things to myself, keep things that brought me joy to myself so they wouldn't be taken from me. I wish if I could go back and tell that 12, 13 year old queer kid in the 90s in rural Oregon with undiagnosed ADHD, with with people who made fun of the way he sits and walks and talks and moves his arms and everything like that, I would tell him that one day, you are going to be a queer person known around the world, not just for telling stories about hope and kindness and joy, but also your last name Clune, the name that that has given you that you were adopted into, the name that is filled with such a homophobic family, the people who wanted to destroy you. Now, when they look up the name Clune, they find me first and it's gay. So no matter what happens, no matter what happened, I won. They lost. And that's what I would tell my kid self that one day you will win and everybody else that has come against you will lose.
0: Bravo diva (laughs) for real. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I make, I make no, I do not apologize for that too. It's one of those things that when you are getting so much shit from so many people who should know better, you can either let it crush you. You can let it, you know, make you cynical. And I have let it crush me. I let it make me cynical. And now I'm in my third phase where I'm like, "Fuck all of you! I'm doing what I'm doing." And if you don't like it, there's plenty well where else in this world that you can go that is far away from me.
0: Daniel, what about you? Well, I, um, I, I, my family was very loving and supportive of me. They allowed me to be the weird kid that I was. Um, but you know, uh, other people weren't. Um, let's say. Um. Uh, in fact, at a high school reunion, this this uh, girl ran up to me who I had gone to school with from like second grade all the way through. And she was like, oh my God, I have to just apologize to you. And I was like, about what, honey? And she was like, um, I, I, I saw you being bullied my whole life and I never did anything about it. And I'm so sorry. She's like, even teachers, I saw even teachers do that to you. And I never said anything. She's like, but I want you to know that now today, if I see anyone bullied around me in any way ever, I stop them immediately and I will go up to them. And I was like, honey, that is the best thank you I could ever have.
1: That is personal growth, man. That is accountability. That is, she didn't have to come up and say that to you. She oh. could have just kept on with her life. But the fact that she came up and said to you, that shows the measure of a person.
0: And partially, she I think she had that experience about me and other people had that experience about me because I was always this, like I was, I could never be anything other than this sort of Lamboyant, you know, I had purple glasses, you know, reading glass and, um, you know, eyeglasses in junior high, which got a lot, of, you know, I mean, all kinds of stuff. I was, uh, you know, I had friends, but I was treated poorly by a lot of people, including teachers. um, And, you know, and, but I just didn't have the capacity to hide. I didn't have a closet I could go into because my personality obviously <laughs> is huge, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a way. So I think there were a lot of people who looked at me and went oh my God, that kid is so self-possessed. I don't know what he is or what's happening, but wow, he's him. And then other people who wanted to try to put me in a closet or some other thing and just couldn't. And so I was teased horribly and, you know, called back from second grade and like all that stuff. But again, I didn't have the ability to be anything else. So I guess my advice would be you do you and fuck everybody else, you know, because that's how I got to be me. How I got to do Chauncey is because I developed this whole life that was, you know, the way that that was just true and from my soul.
1: And, and, you know, we do have to we do have to mention that talking now is about what we talk about now is kind of a privilege because we have the benefit of hindsight to be able to see how things were. So if they're, you know, it's 2023, but we are we are seeing the biggest anti-queer, anti-trans attack that we've seen. Probably since the AIDS crisis, and it is um, important that we remember that there are still, to this day, in 2023, queer kids who get shit on every single day. And so, when we, when when they get to hear people like me and Daniel talk, they might think, "Okay, one day it'll get like that." But what about right now? What about what is happening to me right now? So I just think it's important that we remember that even now where we are and, and the fact that Daniel and I can be successful queer people in what we do, we all have to, re- we, I think it's important that we remember that there are so many queer people right now who are living like it's in the 60s, 70s and 80s with their community. And it sucks. It absolutely sucks. I mean, Daniel Daniel was the one that ch- showed me the queer history of Silver Lake in California when I was there. He took me to the Black Cat because I was initially, I was under the impression that, that, that uh, Stonewall was the first uh, big thing that happened in the States. No, it was the Black Cat in Silver Lake. And so it's important that we know our queer history, that, that the kids, even now, the kids today, Know where we came from so the queer kids today can know their history and know who fought for them to have the rights that they do now, even if it can sometimes feel like those rights are under attack, like they are right now. But it's so important that you know where you come from, man. You have to know your history. Queer people, we have always been here, we're always going to be here. We have always been a part of history, even if people have tried to write us out of history. And so I just think that with the younger queer generation that comes up after us who are so proud and who are so you know, who use their voice who are protecting others they need to remember where they came from too you got you got to you got to you got to remember who your forebears were because frankly an entire generation is gone because of the 80s and the 90s and so the fact that there should be a generation above mine above Daniels that are not here because they, they were allowed to die. They were killed off. So we're essentially your queer elders. And let us tell you what we, what we think our benefit of our, you know, near hundred years combined experience of being alive. We know what it's like. We may not have all the answers to every question, but trust me when I say we've been exactly where you've been. I have been. Daniel has been. You've heard that, and it's so important that that we all realize that we are in this together. I just, I don't know. I'm sorry, going on a rant. I just earlier today before I before I got on this, I was online. I should not be online because I'm supposed to be on break from everything. But I was reading this I, this Instagram post from somebody that I no longer follow, and it was the the most blatant transphobia. Coming from a gay man. The, the the biphobia, the bisexual phobia, and the transphobia within the queer community is extraordinary. Yeah. It is self-defeating. It is a snake eating its own tail. It'll just go on and on and on. But I, I think it's important also that we remember that transphobia, homophobia, not just for straight people, it is also for the it's also for the movement that you see coming out of the UK right now, the LGB without the T. There is no LGB without the T. The T is the most important thing. The T has been with us since the beginning. The T has fought for us to have our rights. That is why it is there.
0: And I cannot imagine the bravery Mm -hmm. that it takes to be a trans person. Yeah. I mean, honestly, these are the most brave people I could possibly ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And the most vulnerable all at the same time. Uh, it just it, it bums me out. I wanted to just say this to... Um... When I first came into the business, um, you know, and I had all of the things that, you know, that are in my background and, and including my activism in the gay community and especially around the black cat. And I had been honored by the state of California for my work uh, for Pride Month. They, I was an honoree. And um, so when I came into this business, because in the audiobooks world, people want to know about who you are and what you might know. So if they have a book on, say, you know, Russian history and you happen to speak a little Russian, then. I'll get that book because that's me, right? So, so I like, okay, so um, <laughs> uh, I speak, which means yeah, I, I, yeah. No, I, that, yep, yep. I,
1: I'm i not surprised by anything that comes out of your mouth anymore, ever,
0: ever. Now, of course, there's going to be some Russian in some future TJ Klune book. Yep, it is going to be because I need to hear the Russian voice. <laughs> um, but so one of the things I did was I was really vocal with producers about like being awarded by the state for being a, for being gay first of all hello. <laughs> he was a kid and then i was awarded by the state for being gay that's a lifetime journey um, right but i but i was very vocal about that with everybody and the reason and the reason for that was because going back to your question when i was growing up there were like three books in the library you know, like a boy's own story. I didn't even know Giovanni's room existed. Um, and I was and in a front runner way, you know, and the front runner. Um, okay. And that's it, you know. And so and so when, and I realized, wait, if I'm going to use my voice for this, I can also use it to give some kid in their basement in Iowa who doesn't have access through their library but maybe can get to an audiobook that no one knows they're listening to because it's just in their pods and if i can be a voice for that and give that kid an opportunity to hear stories and to hear about us and who they are and who they could be that is like worth a lifetime and so I, that, I set out specifically to be one of the I want I my my goal in my head was to be, you know, to be one of the go to LGBTQ narrators. I wanted to use my voice to give stories, to give those stories, you know, life. And then Cerulean Sea came along and I said, my God, <laughs> I committed to that because that was <laughs> if that's not doing it, I don't know what is, you know.
2: Uh, no, and that's such a that's such an important point to make. I mean, I'm always so grateful for what the kids have today because as long as they are taking both of your advice and still learning from what all of us have done first, uh, so that we don't lose sight and just kind of become complacent. Then it's easy to, you know, kick us out yeah, of the complac- way.
1: Complacency is the worst thing. Complacency exactly. leads to many other things that we'd rather avoid.
2: Exactly. So it's it's so important to have. Uh, both of your voices in this space to be creating uh, stories and characters and giving them voices that are authentic and you know I mean we talked about surrender your sons earlier your voice in that I mean talk about a story right there of still in in modern day sending kids to conversion camp in a secret island and you know just so many different ways to approach like hey let's remember what's going on so it's all
0: just really meaningful um but, you know, that book has been banned as, you know, in a lot of places, as, you know, TJ says, Cerulean has also been, you know, been banned in places. But so here,
1: I want to make sure we're very clear on this, though. Uh, my books have not been banned anywhere near the amount of other people. Other people has. I, I mean, if you look at the American Library Association, um, they put out the, the top 10 banned or challenged books every single year and every single year for the past three years. Every single one has been LGBTQ. Uh, uh, maybe a third of them have been by Black authors about the Black experience and being and the queer experience. Why am I? Why are my books not being banned or challenged? I'm a safe gay. I'm a cis white man. I am a. I am what the safe gays because think about it. They're going after trans authors. They're going after queer authors of color, and that's why my books are not anywhere near. But the fact that we we are having. This conversation in 2023 about books and that books are being banned and challenged. Hell, last year in my, where I live in Virginia, the local school board held a meeting or two years ago, the local school board held a meeting. And one of the school board members said, why don't we just bring back book burning? And this is coming from a school board member. And they're talking about books like Surrender Your Sons. They're talking about books by authors like Toni Morrison. Yeah. I
2: could talk to the two of you forever, but I do want to give us a chance to wind down. And so I have some more nosy podcaster questions. What are you both reading or listening to right now?
1: I'm reading Stephen King's new book, Holly. Stephen King is my favorite author. He just released a new book last week, and I am in the middle of packing up my house to move. Otherwise, it would be finished right now. But I have I stayed up last night. Today's Friday. Last night was Thursday. I stayed up until one in the morning reading this book. Cause I started, I was like, I'll just read a cu- an hour before I go to bed. That was at nine 30. And then I looked over at the clock and it was one in the morning and I was still reading. I, he, it, the book is just, he's every book he releases. I just, he's a tour de force. I hope I can be 70 years old and still releasing
0: two books a year.
2: And Daniel, what about you? What are you?
0: Me? I mean, that's, it's a weird question in a way. Oh, because- sure. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, every day, like, what do you mean when you say, what book am I currently sure. reading? <laughs> so, uh, I'm currently reading a paranormal LGBTQ romance series, which I um, really haven't done those before. So, that's what I'm reading in here. I'm reading the next book. So, I'm reading that book. But then when I read books now, I li- I really only listen because, A, I'm reading so much in a day but B, because I want to learn, I want to hear what other people are doing. And, you know, and so in, in orally, I'm reading um, uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, yeah. and, uh, Wonderful you know, book. Great performances. And, you know, and um, I love Robin Miles, who I lost my Audi for the C sur- sur- Sea to. Um, yeah. <laughs> best female narrator. So I don't feel too bad.
2: <laughs> you <laughs> so win it, some, you lose some, right? <laughs> And then maybe my favorite question to ask, when I say public library, what comes to mind?
1: Safety, home. When I was a kid, the public library, literally the Douglas County Public Library in Roseburg, Oregon, literally saved my life. It was the only place I could go to where I did not have to be anybody but myself. And the librarians, my my librarian was actually the first person I came out to. So my library, libraries have always been a place of safety and home for me.
0: When you asked that question, the first thing I did was grab my heart. Oh, um, uh, and so everything that he just said. Uh um, and uh librarians, they're just the best. I mean they really are what they do, what they put up with, what what they, you know, what each and every one of them are trying to do for every certainly kid who walks up to them, you know, like it's just, you know, I felt totally safe and um and and uh and I just actually had this discussion and um because I was just asked to do, a um, uh, the, for the Sacramento Public Library, I'm going to do a, a book group uh, in February, TJ, with uh, Cerulean. Uh, oh, yay!
1: Hell, that'd be cool!
0: Yeah, That's and so awesome. They're like, would you consider doing this? I was like, oh my god, yes, please. I would love to do that. So, you know, so it's, that was like, this is, and I told her that story. I was like, librarians, like, you know, that was a place, that was one of the few places I actually felt safe. Nobody was going to call me a fag in that place was going to treat me poorly. Um, I was going to be with my books in the corner or I was going to be whatever it was. And, you know, um, and they challenged me to read and they, you know, through challenges and summer challenges and like all of that stuff. Like I was always a reader from the time, like I was a little boy, I was reading, reading, reading from like three or four. I was read, you know, and, but they gave me, um, a home for that. Oh, I now have to grab my heart. like. Now,
2: before I let you both go, anything that you're working on that you want to shout out or promote and where can the people find you if they want to keep in touch?
1: I am off all social media until 2024, so don't look for me because you will not find me. You can look at my Instagram page, it's TJ CleanBooks. Books. Um, what I'm working on right now, I can't talk about. What I have coming out next, I can't talk about. What I have, <laughs> oh, you know what? I can say this. I can say that next year I will be publishing for free a 10,000 word novella set in the In in the Lives of Puppets universe that is not about any of those characters that is my first foray into horror.
2: Oh, you said so many words I love.
1: (laughs) Yes. So it will not be, it's not like violent, gross horror, but it is... Imagines a time when humans were still around and we were advancing artificial intelligence into bodies like they've found in Geo and Hap and all of that kind of stuff. And right. I wanted to write a, a horror story. So I did. And that will be published. I think it's going to come out in the paperback, but then it's also going to be published for free in Tor.com in
0: 2024. Wow. Exciting. <laughs> you gonna
1: have to record that. You know that, right, Daniel?
0: See. <laughs> right send me your phone book with a, like, I will do your, I will read your phone book. <laughs> yeah,
1: it is, it is, it is, I, you will, you will never be able to look at the name Douglas the same way again. It right. is emotionally devastating. And I am so excited for it. Ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm <so> excited too. <laughs> uh,
0: and I have, I have, Um, I have a book coming out in actually two weeks. This probably won't even air by then, but um, I'm really excited about it. And it's actually on the new york times like books to read for the fall i'm like thrilled it's a book called people collide and it's by isle mcelroy and it's it's short uh, it's maybe four or five hours um but the the premise is that uh i play eli um and i wake up one morning in the body of my wife um and uh and then it's kind of the quest and she presumably wakes up in my body but she's gone um, and so it's the, so it's fascinating because I'm the man inside this body. But when I speak to other people, I have to sound like her and that, you know, and it's this whole, it's this, so it's really, it's, and it's not like I'm, you know, I'm a man and she's a woman, but it is about gender in that if you are now suddenly this other gender, how does that do? So I'm excited about, about that. Um, uh, and, uh, and, um, and whatever, uh, other future TJ Klune books come my way. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Yeah, pitch it now, right? (laughs) Well, TJ, Daniel, thank
1: you so much for being here. It really means the world. Thank
0: you so much.
1: Thank you for having us, Joe. This is wonderful. I love being able to talk about books and I love Daniel. So I love being able to talk about Daniel.
0: (laughs) I mean, feelings mutual, right? (laughs) (laughs) I definitely on my end. (laughs) For sure. And Joe, thank you so much for your lovely support. I mean, when you, you know, in June, when you put out those seven narrators that you love, uh, you know, and and it was like six golden voices in me, I I may or may not have cried. Um Daniel, that truly means so much to me.
2: Thank you. And again, thank you both so much for being here. I, I don't even have the right words or enough words for how wonderful this was. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Thank you so much for joining us today. And as always, happy reading.
1: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on overdrive.com or in Libby. Our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit
2: evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And
1: I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast...